All right, thank you, Charity. Great is Thy Faithfulness was the name of that song about our Lord's faithfulness, taken from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. I'd like you to take your Bibles today and turn to the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter number 17, there's the story of Paul on Mars Hill. It's a place my wife and I had the privilege of going in 2005 and actually standing in the very spot where he preached this sermon while he was waiting to go on with his mission trips and while he was waiting for his uh, friends to join him, he didn't sit around twiddling his thumbs. He found something to do. Verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar unto this with this inscription to the unknown God. <clears throat> Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God, that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Well, that was quite a statement, because if you've ever been on Mars Hill or seen the Pantheon and those, there's, there was temples everywhere. Huge, unbelievable architectural engineers that just, I don't know how they did it back then. And Paul stood there and said, God doesn't dwell in any of these places. These temples that you made with hands. Verse 25, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of our poets, of your own poets, have said, for we are also his offspring. Forasmuch then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art, and man's device. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. I want to look at verse 30 and uh, have a theme for a message this morning that I'd like to start this morning and build upon and maybe finish next Sunday, Lord willing, if, if it be his will. But um, it says in verse number 30, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Today I want to speak on this subject by way of a question, whatever happened to repentance? Whatever happened to repentance? Repentance is something that our church has preached since its start and always will. But after I finished 40 years as the pastor here, 
I do have some regrets that I did not preach on it more. It is a major theme of Christianity, and nobody goes to heaven without it. And uh, I wish I had preached on repentance more, and that was my bad. But I'd like to speak on that this morning and try to answer that question, whatever happened to repentance? Uh, We do not live in a day and age of repentance, but rather we live in a day and age where everybody wants to find a way to justify their behavior. And or they want to blame it on someone else or, or, or play the victim uh, or say, I was born this way. And we hear everything except repentance in the day and age in which we are, are living. And uh, people are blame shifters. It's my parents' fault or my lack of parents uh, that I am this way or I have chosen this uh, form of behavior or uh, why I, I do this or that so much. And, and yet, it says in verse 30, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, not to justify their behavior, but to repent of it. And I want to notice a few things by way of introduction in this verse. It says in the second part of verse 30, but now, but now, uh, God now, that means as Paul's preaching there on Mars Hill, from this day forward is what he's saying. From this day forward, God now commandeth. He does not give us a suggestion that this is an alternative that you can do with your behavior, but rather commandeth. Then he says, all men, that would be all of mankind, all little boys and girls, men and women, senior citizens, everywhere, that would include in Eden, New York today. In Eden, New York, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And so I want to develop a little message today about repentance and maybe some things you could write on the back of your bulletin. I I might give you about seven of them uh, here this morning as we move along uh, quickly. But then what is repentance? What is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind. That's all it means. It means to have a thorough change of mind towards something, towards anything. Uh, In the Bible, there are two main areas of repentance. One is from sin. Repent of sin, something that is sinful, and the other is of dead works, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 1. Both of those repentances uh, are part of our salvation when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not possible to truly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and still believe in your dead works. You've got to repent of them. Uh, for me, when I was saved as a 12-year-old boy, prior to that, growing up in Protestant churches, and my mother was Catholic, I had come to the, the concept in my mind that the way to salvation was through uh, my works. Some of you perhaps were like that also before you were saved. Some of you uh, have grown up with the Lord since your childhood, and you were taught right, but I wasn't. And I was taught that 
there there was a very very complex formula and that I had to keep if I wanted a chance to go to heaven I would have to do certain things I would have to keep all the 10 commandments and uh, had have to be baptized and I would have to participate in my first holy communion and uh, I would have to uh, have confirmation classes and and pass those and then be confirmed as a Christian and and besides that maybe things like saying prayers and behaving and being good and being sincere and that the Lord would uh, let me into heaven as long as I was sincere and there was just a, just a whole litany of lists, and, and depending on how you grew up, that list was, was long and impossible, and impossible. And uh, so I, I thought uh, that that was the way to heaven. I, I thought of that concept of God having a big balance in heaven, and maybe some of you thought that way, where he'd put all your good on one side of the balance, and and he'd measure that, and he'd put all your bad on the other side of the balance. And if your good outmeasured your bad, you would go to heaven. And if your bad outweighed your good, you'd go to hell or purgatory, or if you were a little baby limbo or something, and, and you would be purged or purged of your sins if you spent enough time in purgatory. And if your loved ones back here who were still alive uh, paid... Uh, the Catholic Church to uh, say masses for you and burn candles for you. And if enough people gave enough money and burned enough candles and said enough prayers, then maybe God would say, okay, let them out. And that's uh, of the devil. Such teaching like that is not found in the scriptures. And that is soul slavery is what that is. But Christ said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so one day I heard the truth, that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he has saved us. Titus uh, Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. There will not be one single boaster in heaven. Not one. Not one person of millions, maybe billions of people who have received Christ as their Savior. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that they'll all join together in one big song and everyone will sing that they have been redeemed by God, by the blood of the Lamb, There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed on Calvary's cross for the remission of our sins. And I remember that day when I heard the gospel as a 12-year-old boy in a country church. And as I was listening, the Holy Spirit totally changed my mind where I no longer trusted in the good things I was trying to do to earn heaven, but I trusted solely in Christ And what he did for me on the cross at Calvary. And I said, Lord Jesus, please save me a sinner. And have mercy on me and give me eternal life. That's repentance. 
a change of mind, a change of mind. But repentance does not end at salvation. In fact, it just begins there. Charles Spurgeon, if you ever read his study Bible, we've got him over there. I've read it through four times. I love it. He was a great preacher back in the 1800s and over in England. And he said, we need to be good repenters. As believers in Christ, after we're saved, we need to be repenting all the time. We need to be repenting all the time. Changing our minds towards things as God shows us what is right and what is wrong. That could be about sin. That could be about doctrine. That could be about lifestyles. It could be about many, many things. There ought to be a constant changing of the mind, renewing of the mind, wrought in us by the Holy Spirit. I remember when I got saved, prior to being saved, I had a foul mouth. I can remember my grandmother on several occasions sticking a bar of soap down my throat, uh, trying to wash my mouth out, literally, literally. Uh, I used to swear, I used to use profanity, my brothers did, my dad did. Uh, we lived on the farm, we cussed and swore, and, and uh, I'm, I'm sad to say it, but, but we used to, some, for some reason, take some sick satanic pleasure in cursing God and using the name of Jesus Christ in vain every chance we got. When I got saved, I couldn't do that anymore. There was a change of mind wrought in me by the Holy Spirit. I said, I can't curse God. He's done so much for me. I can't curse the Lord Jesus Christ. He did so much for me. And the change of mind was wrought in my life that led to a change of behavior. And I could not curse the Lord anymore. Now, there's other things since then that seemed to stop immediately. Like, I mean, I mean immediately, I mean like the day I got saved, just stopped. I couldn't curse God anymore. Couldn't use profanity. I lost about a third of my vocabulary. But that's all right. It's good to be silent. Amen? Study to be quiet, we're told. In the scriptures, God speaks to quiet people in quiet places. But there's other things I've struggled with and other things that God has shown me over the years since I have been saved that weren't right maybe doctrinally, weren't right in practice, maybe were sins. I didn't even know they were sins because there's so many kinds of sins. There's sins of omission, sins of commission. There's uh, presumptuous sins and sins of, of ignorance and sins of the heart. And you've got to study how my theology is the big, the big word. There's a booklet on your way out if you want to grab it. And all the different kinds of sins. And I'm still learning things today that are wrong. And uh, when God works a change of mind towards that, that's repentance. That's repentance. And these here, as they were worshiping false gods made out of wood and gold and silver and these huge, enormous, I mean, if you've ever been in the Pantheon, it's like, wow, how did they do that back then? How'd they get those pillars up? And every one of the pillars is tipped in because of the optical illusion. If they had been straight, uh, it would have looked like the building was falling out. And the, the architect was such a master. When he, when he built that, they, he tipped every one of the pillars in a little bit, so now it looks like they're in perfect straight lines. And you're there looking at it saying, how'd they do that back then? 
Do we even have equipment to pick these pillars up? And they worship. And Paul stands up there and says, you know, God used to wink at this stuff, but God's not winking anymore. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you repented of something? When was the last time you repented of something? Hebrews 6.1 says we need to repent of our dead works. And if you're here trusting anything besides Christ to save your soul, you need to repent this morning. Say, no, I don't, it doesn't matter. I don't care if you've gone to church for 50 straight years or what you did. Or how many prayers you said, or how much money you've given, or you're baptized, or whatever, you need to repent and say, those can't save me. I turn solely and wholly to thee, Lord Jesus, and ask you to save me. We need to be repenting of our sins. So God, I mean, the sermon could end right here. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That should be the last word. But let's look at some others. Turn to the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at repentance in the New Testament this morning, Matthew 3, Matthew chapter number 3, there was a man, who accurately I believe would be called the second cousin of Jesus Christ, his name was John the Baptist, he was the first preacher that we ever encounter in the New Testament, John the Baptist was such a great preacher that the Lord Jesus Christ, who never lied, never stretched the truth, never exaggerated, and there was no guile found in his mouth, said this about him. I'm reading Matthew 11:11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Talking about prophets. Now I want you to notice... When we get three chapters into the New Testament, we just starting. I want you to notice the preaching now of John the Baptist. Number one, John the Baptist's first message was repent. In John, Matthew 3, verse 1, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, now what was his first word? What was his first word? Say it. Repent. Repent. First word he ever said recorded in the preaching of John the Baptist is repent. Look at chapter number four. The Lord Jesus, he has said some things already in his ministry, but he hasn't begun to preach. But in chapter four and verse 17, Matthew four and verse 17 When Jesus begins to preach, I want you to notice carefully the words. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, and now what is the very first word we ever hear about the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it say? Repent. Repent. Okay, what does it say? Repent. John the Baptist said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hand. Turn to Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6. In a very, very short time, after Jesus begins his public ministry, he has 82 men following him. 82 men. That's what the New Testament says. He takes 12 of them 
and he ordains them that they should be with him at all times. Uh, We call them then the apostles, the apostles. And he trains them for a little while, and then here in Mark chapter number 6 and verse 12, he sends them out to preach. And the Bible says in Mark 6 verse 12, and they went out and preached that men should what? Repent. Where do you think they got that idea from? All right. Those that he ordained, they went out, verse 12, and preached that men should repent. Is that our message today? Are we telling anyone that? Or are we just telling people, say this prayer? And we'll get to a little deeper definition of repentance and the sorrow that goes with it, maybe next week and, and so on. But John the Baptist's first word was repent. Jesus' first word was repent. And when the apostles who were the closest to Jesus, who were trained by him, went out and they began to preach, the first time they ever went out, they preached that men should repent. Now, here's something interesting. If you turn to Luke chapter number 16, I don't know if I'm going to say this right or not, but in Luke 16, we read number four, that those in hell preach that men should repent. Those that are in hell preach that men should repent. It says in verse number 19, there was a certain rich man, Luke 16, 19, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed of the crumbs, which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, Father, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. Now the guy is interested in missions. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come unto this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, they have the word of God. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one would, if one went unto them from the dead, they 
will what? Repent. You see, those in hell know the importance of the doctrine of repentance. Hell's no joke. Hell's not a curse word. Hell is a real place that God made for the devil and his fallen angels, the demons. But so oftentimes, man, like the devil and the demons, in exercising our free will, have chosen to live without God, chosen to live without Christ, chosen not to be saved, chosen pleasure, rather than being born again, and want nothing to do in our lives with God. Now, if we've got nothing, if we want nothing to do in our lives with God or Jesus Christ, why would we want to live with him forever? You hear some crazy things nowadays. It's a lot of illusions these days and crazy things. Well, he's in a better place. How do you know that? Seems like everyone that dies, well, he's in a better place. Or, well, his suffering is over. No, his suffering may just be beginning. He may have never known suffering like this rich man until he died and was buried and said he lift up his eyes in torments and just begged and said, could you send Lazarus, could, you, could he give me just a drop of water on my tongue? Just a drop. Hell's no joke. There was a prophet named the Lord Jesus Christ who spoke about hell more than any prophet who's ever visited this earth. And gave himself to die on Calvary's cross so you and I would not have to go there. So we could be saved from our sins. You've seen what man's sin has done to the earth. Do you think God's going to let man sin into heaven? No, man has to get rid of his sin. There has to be a way for our sins to be removed from our account. And so the Lord Jesus came and he died on the cross at Calvary and shed his blood. It says to wash away all of our sins. It says that by faith he has cleansed us from all of our sins in his blood. There was was once a record on my account. And it was long and growing every day and all my sins were there. The sins of my youth and and, and, and so on. And, And every day there was more being written. And just as in society, once somebody commits a crime, you can't erase the crime. It's on your account for good. But there's one who came, the Lord Jesus, and took my account. And the Bible says, all my sins, all my iniquities were laid on him. And he went and paid the wages of sin, which is death. And he went all the way to the cross for me and all the way to the cross for you. And he died for our sins according to the scriptures. And in our place on Calvary's cross. So we could be redeemed by his precious blood. And then he was buried. And then he rose from the grave. And as the apostle Paul gave such wonderful assurance on that sermon that I read earlier from Mars Hill, when he said, Because he, God, hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereath he hath given assurance unto all men. How? And that he hath raised him from the dead. You know what my assurance is today? Jesus Christ rose from the dead for my justification. I'm glad I don't serve a God who's still buried in a grave, 
who could not conquer death, who could not conquer the grave, who could not conquer hell. But we have a God who did conquer, the Lord Jesus Christ who rose again. And that gives us assurance. That gives us assurance. Have you trusted him today? Have you come in repentance of your sin and repentance of your dead works, your religion, and, and said, my religion's not good enough and my, my sin's bad enough and, and I need to be saved. You see, some, some people have never repented of their sins. Some people will say something like this, oh yeah, I know I've sinned, but I'm not that bad. I've never robbed a bank or killed anybody. That's not repentance. Repentance is not saying, oh, I'm not that bad. No, repentance is when you, you, you like do the math and you, you think, for instance, if you had sinned three times a day. And that's about a thousand times a year. And I'm 67 years old, and if I should stand before a judge 67 times a thousand, that's 67,000 crimes that I have committed against the very holiness of God. And not only did I uh, do those sins by nature, I did them by choice, and a lot of them I had a lot of pleasure in doing it, even though God said it was wrong. And you have somebody go to court someday with 67,000 crimes on their account. You don't say, well, he sounds like a pretty good man. I'm not that bad. How many is that bad? How many is that bad? No, no, no. But when the Holy Ghost of God works in you and says, you're bad. You're a sinner. You're lost. And just like the convicted felon before the judge who knows he's guilty, and the judge knows he's guilty, and the judge doesn't want to condemn him, but says, you know, according to the law, I've got to punish you. See, Jesus said, I'm not going to judge you on that day. John 12, 48. That's what he said. He said, I'm not going to judge you on that day. He said, the words that I've spoken unto you, they shall judge you on that day. I'd suggest we repent now. And instead of saying, I'm not that bad, we should run and fall down before a holy God who's not going to allow any sin in his presence, not one. And we should fall before him and say, Lord, I am that bad. I am a sinner. I agree with you. I am lost. I need a savior. Please save me. See, that's what the people in hell think. You know, hell, hell is filled with our cheerleaders. I call them hell's cheerleaders. Would you please go? I got five brethren. I don't want them to come here, but you tell them to repent. Please, send somebody. They believe in missions down there in hell. They believe in soul winning. They believe in repentance. They believe in repentance. Well, after Calvary, if you could turn with me now to the book of Acts chapter 2. So what about after Calvary, when Christ died for us and was buried and rose again, do we still preach repentance? At Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, the apostle Peter 
was the spokesman for the Lord on the day of Pentecost and his whole sermon. It's a great sermon, and, and, and you got to have the whole thing. I'm going to take a verse out of context right now, but, but, but that's just for time's sake. But you got to read the whole sermon to get the whole context. But in Acts 2 and verse 38 says, Then Peter said unto them, What? Repent. Repent. After Calvary, there is a, a, there is preaching on repentance. Repentance. He preaches again in Acts chapter 3. Turn to Acts 3 and verse 19. Now he's in the temple. Sometime later. And there are thousands of people there. Because it would say later in chapter 4 and verse 4, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. <laughs> wow, what a sermon. <laughs> what a sermon. Praise the Lord. But what did he say in verse 19, Acts 3.19? Repent ye therefore, and be converted. And how about Paul? I'm almost done here. Look at Acts chapter 20. When Paul turns his attention, as Peter was preaching mostly to the Jews there on Pentecost, Acts 2, and to the Jews there in the temple in Acts 3, what about Paul as he preached to the Gentiles? What did he say in Acts chapter 20? Acts chapter 20 and verse number 21. Um, Acts 20. Verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. And and here it is about as simple as can be. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be saved today, there needs to be repentance toward God in two areas. You need to say, Lord, I repent of my sins. I, I am a sinner. And I am lost. I'm lost. And then you need to put your faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God. That's what Paul preached to Jews and Gentiles. Repentance toward God. Faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Not faith toward your church or toward your religion or towards all the good works you've done, but repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance. And then the uh, accompanying turning that is the fruit of repentance from sin and from our dead works to say, Lord Jesus, only you can save me. Only you can save me. Last of all, turn to Luke chapter 24. What are we supposed to preach? Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, He left some final words for his church, and they're recorded for us in Luke chapter 24 and verse number 47. And that repentance and remission of sins, let's not leave out the good news, repentance And remission, that word remission is almost synonymous with the word forgiveness. See, there's the good news, right? The gospel is good news. 
Would you like to be forgiven of every sin you've ever committed in your life? It's the only way to go to heaven. And he said, when you go out and preach, notice the the commission, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ among all nations, would that include America? There should be a message in America, repentance, and there should be good news attached to it and remission of sins. Let's not forget the good news. Repentance. God hates your sin. God hates my sin. He hates it. It caused his son to be slaughtered on a cross. It's not a joke. Hollywood makes a joke of it, but Solomon once said, fools make a mock of sin. There's nothing funny about sin with God. His son, Jesus died, he was massacred. The Bible uses the word slaughtered. The Bible uses the word killed. The Bible uses the word suffered. Many words like that to describe the death of Christ that we remember tonight when we receive the Lord's Supper. Jesus died a horrible death for our sins. There's nothing funny about it. Nothing funny about it. And God works in our hearts, in our lives. So in conclusion, we are to practice repentance as individuals constantly, before and after salvation. But second of all, we are to preach repentance. And man, you don't hear much of that anymore. You don't hear much of that anymore, not even in the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. And when that happens, though, something takes place, and we'll close in prayer after I read this verse for you. In Luke 15 and verse 10, Jesus said this, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. One sinner. If one sinner in this room today said, Lord, I am a sinner. I am lost. I am bad. I am sorry. We'll get into sorrow maybe next week a little bit. I am sorry for my sins. I'm sorry, Lord Jesus, that you had to die for my sins because you never did anything wrong. And the greatest injustice this world's ever known, you think you're a victim? The greatest injustice this world's ever known was when Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Repentance. I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes in a word of prayer. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That should be enough. I could have stopped a half hour ago. But we also saw John the Baptist's preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. The apostles preached repentance. Those in hell preached repentance. Peter preached repentance at Pentecost and in the temple. Paul preached repentance to the Gentiles. And we are told to preach repentance and remission of sins to all nations. You can't go to heaven without 
a Holy Spirit wrought repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm wondering right where you're sitting right now, maybe. Could be a time of repentance. Maybe right where you're sitting, you can talk to God. You know, God's house is a house of prayer. Isn't that good news? Maybe I can help you a little bit with the words, but maybe right where you're sitting right now, not out loud, but to God, you can say something like this, Lord, I am sorry for my sins. I'm so sorry that my sins caused your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross by crucifixion. I am a sinner. I am lost. I need a Savior. And I turn my faith towards your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask you right now, Lord Jesus, please save me. Please save my soul. Does that express the desire of your heart this morning? Maybe you've talked it over with the Lord. Maybe just now. If so, would you just raise your hand? Let me see your hand. No one else is looking around. Say, God knows my heart. I've come to the Lord this morning in repentance and faith. And I'm asking Jesus Christ to be my Savior today. Could you just raise your hand up? God knows my heart. God bless you. Amen. Yes. Father, we pray that you may give us a renewed understanding of this message that was preached by everybody, and that it would be a message of our church. And Lord, that people would come under Holy Ghost conviction of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. And Lord, we know you're not going to let us into heaven with our sins. We've got to be cleansed, and only the blood of Jesus can do that. And so help us, Lord, we pray, to be a repenting people. For it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.